You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, Gut Jeff. <laughs> it's Jeff McLarge. Gut Jeff. I I do have a gut. <laughs> oh, you didn't mean gut, right? Gut, like gut milk. Yes, that's me. Gut Jeff. Yes, yes. What's going uh, on? How I'm, are you? Yeah, I'm all right, man. We're coming to the holiday season. I'm slowly but surely the holiday season generator is beginning to spin slowly, and I'm starting to see the beauty in the season less than the aggravation that comes along with it. So I guess that's a good thing. Oh, I hope I get there someday. <laughs> yeah. It's weird with my kids being like proto-adults now. Like my son's an adult. He's yeah. 20. My daughter is going to be 17 shortly, but they still get like, what's the right phrase? Like they regress in age around the holidays. They want to put up a tree and want to put up Christmas lights and want to sing Christmas songs and want to listen to Christmas music and want to wear Christmas pajamas. And what do I want to do? I want to drink a bottle of Christmas wine and be left alone. So it's I'm, I'm, I'm sl- slowly coming to the realization that within the next, I don't know, decade less, probably, they're not going to be around for me to have Christmas with anymore. The same way that I have for the last 20 plus years. So I'm, I'm sort of trying to enjoy it more knowing that it's coming to a close. And that's our depressing Christmas note of 2021, everyone. Are you kidding me? That sounds awesome. <laughs> so. I never, I never decorate for like any holidays, um, especially Christmas. My Christmas tradition for holiday decorations is I go by like AutoZone and I buy one of those stinky trees that you put in your car and I hang that up in my living room and I take a picture of it and I post it on Instagram and I can put trees up. (laughs) Hey, and my house smells like a ponderosa pine. Yeah, no, no, no. I I get like the Hawaiian scent or whatever. That's another thing about Christmas is like I don't like the smell of pine Uh, and I don't like the smell of cinnamon. So Christmas is just like a nightmare top to bottom for me. I don't like the music. I don't like the I don't like the traditions. I don't like the smells. Nothing. Huh. Except for Bob Gildoff. Well, 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 aren't we <laughs> a curmudgeon around Christmas? Actually, I'm I'm kind of like that too. It's I've always maintained it's not my favorite holiday, never has been. Um, but No, I'm a I'm a Halloween guy. We discussed this. Yes. And I'm way more of a any other holiday in the world than Christmas guy. So Arbor Day, I'm on. You put me there. National Pancake <laughs> Awareness Day. Like I'm celebrating, baby. You know I do have Christmas lights hanging up around my television set, but I only light them up around Halloween because they're orange. My kids literally have had have Christmas lights in their room that are that are up year round constantly. And they've been doing that for are years they, and years. Are they Christmas lights or are they those those LED lights? Well, that- they're LEDs now, but they started out as like all of a sudden, I, we'd go to take down the tree, and I wouldn't realize that none of the Christmas lights would be in the box. <laughs> hey, how come the electric bill is $385 a month? Because your daughter's repurposed, yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, my friggin' son's room looks like La Salette Shrine. 
you know. That is a localized joke, but yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. Yes. It's like a condensed indoor version of the Griswolds. Yes, exactly. Five million Italian twinkle lights. I got it. Next time I go up there, I got to talk to your kids. It's like, enjoy it now. Enjoy it while you can. Where? Because yeah. I cannot sleep with any amount of light in the room. Yeah, me too. The amount of light that a big lighter can afford will wake me up. Yeah. I need like the, the Ben Affleck daredevil, like sensory deprivation chamber. Yes. You know, to sleep comfortably. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I sleep with a blindfold, and what sucks is that, like it presses my eyes down a little bit. So mm-hmm. after like seven hours of that, you wake up, you're like all cross-eyed, <laughs> your eyes don't yeah. quite reset. Yeah, you look in the mirror, and it's like a Tim Burton character staring back at you. Yeah, Blue Bill. Ah! <laughs> it's like Marty <laughs> Feldman, but like not really. <laughs> And you can't see. It's like, how am I going to drive like this? I'll try to like, I'm like, oh, I'll just put on my reading glasses. Things will be fine. Things are not fine. What do do you have to like hit yourself in the back of the head to make them pop back out? My eyes start rolling around like a slot machine. (laughs) So this is going to be the week beginning December the 6th. But before we get into the show proper, I have my always popular and world famous trivia question. Uh, I'd like to offer a pre-guess is all of the above. Jeff, if you were to go out to eat and get a plate of pasta, and this plate of pasta translates to little worms, what did you just order? I'm pretty sure that I ordered cavatappi. That is not the answer. Macaroni. Well, no. (laughs) Rigatoni. (laughs) Velveeta. Velveeta mac and cheese, yeah. Uh, uh, garlic bread. Craft dinner. Dude, breadsticks. <laughs> give me the soup. All right. So anyway, uh, I'll give you the answer at the end of the show. Man, okay. All right. So the week beginning, December the 6th, and it's the Christmas season. I, I'm in the giving mood. We'll let you start this week. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, and a fine, happy Christmas to you as well. But December 6th, 1955, the National League passes a rule requiring all players from then on who are new to the game to wear a helmet while batting. And this goes into effect for the next year's season, 1956 season, because, of course, in ni- in December, they're not playing baseball. And this was to protect batters from being, like, whapped in the head with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and knocked unconscious, which has been known to happen. Yeah, that'll do a number on you. It will definitely. You wake up and be like, oh, what day is it, coach? Yeah, you get, you get hit in the head without a helmet with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Yeah, you're not going to math anymore. I don't think you're going to breathe anymore, yeah. Yeah, you're definitely going to be talking to uh, to people over at the hospital about your concussion yeah. treatments. The thing is, like, they didn't make it everybody just start wearing helmets right away. You could be grandfathered in so that if you didn't wear a helmet up to that point, you don't have to wear it after that, which I think those people are insane. Yeah, that was something but, I was just about to mention. So it was, like, grandfathered in. So you could just picture, like, you know, uh, Ivan Von Mustache. Like, oh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not wearing no stupid helmet. I've gone this far. And ironically enough, the last guy, it got adopted by the American League, I think, two or, two or three years later. And the last guy that batted without a helmet batted in 1979. In the game that long. Can you imagine Jesus. being in the game for 30 years? You know, we joke about Phineas T. Mustache, the Phineas T. brain damage. Right. But 1979. Yeah, right? I'm surprised that, like, they didn't have to, like, spoon feed them chewing tobacco and applesauce <laughs> mixed together. Right? Yeah. What's your batting average? <laughs> 11. Love it is my bad guy. Okay, get out there. 
I like oranges. So, yeah, and then, like, I remember a couple of years ago, I was over your house, and we watched the movie Slapshot with Paul Newman and the Hanson Brothers, and nobody was wearing helmets. And I was like, what the hell? Why are they playing hockey without helmets? And you were like, oh, yeah, they didn't start wearing helmets in hockey until, like, the early 80s, or late, very late 70s, early 80s. And that's just, I don't think it was mandatory until the late, late 80s either. I think people still were playing without it. I, Insane people. We said a couple of uh, months ago about that slap shot that went out of the hockey rink and three feet from my head. Right. That would have been murdered me, yeah. They, they don't make hockey pucks out of, like, stale ring dings either. No, no, They're no. Like, yeah. They are heavy and very, very hard. Yeah, that's not a bagel they're kicking around, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's going to hurt a whole bunch. Yeah. But, I mean, again, like, you imagine people like, a helmet? That's just going to ruin the game. This is These are the same people that, like, I live in New Hampshire, the live for your die state, where we don't have a seatbelt law for children over 12, and we also don't have a motorcycle helmet law. Yeah, there's a lot of states that don't have uh, helmet laws for motorcycles. I know New Hampshire's one of them. Uh, Massachusetts, everything is illegal. So I'm just so used to seeing people with motorcycle helmets. And then I get down to Florida because I go down there quite often. And I just see all these people all willy-nilly with no helmets. And I'm like, are you crazy? You know, nothing like spending the rest of your life like in a hospital trying to learn how to walk again. Yeah, but then there's me who basically never wore a bicycle helmet until like last year. It's true, but, you know, riddle me this, Batman. Mm -hmm. How many times on your bicycle have you been able to go like 80 miles an hour? Yeah, riddle me this, Batman. How hard do you think you have to hit the concrete with your head <laughs> to do substantial brain damage? Not hard, not fast all right. at all. Yeah, Fair enough, yep. fair enough. Well, look at Gary Busey. He just fell sideways, and he look at him. He's fine. He's Gary Busey pet judge now. <laughs> you know. All right, moving on to December the 7th. December the 7th, 1999, the RIAA, which... Stands for the Recording Industry Something Something, I'm sure. Association of America, yeah. Uh, They sue Napster for copyright infringement. Oh, Napster. You and I had a lovely relationship. It was great. Yeah, the RIA, I think they were the first organized lawsuit that wasn't just one band. Like I think Metallica was the first one that really sued the owners of Napster, which was like that. The RIAA, though. They have some money. Oh, they do. They have a lot of lawyers. And they are known to do things like go into stores where people have music playing if they're not paying ASCAP and sue them too and other places. They're they're like uh, the the enforcers for the mob who come and shake you down so that you can listen to FM radio and you're whatever. Let's put it this way. I'd rather not be talking about them right now. (laughs) They're probably listening. Yeah. Right. Uh, Napster, for those who don't know or don't remember, was a file sharing uh, service. So you would take all of your music MP3 files and you would put them in the Napster folder and anybody that had Napster had access to your files and you had access to everybody else's files and you could literally just download any song you could think of. At one time you were like, I want to hear Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice and I'm not going to buy the whole damn album. So I would go to Napster and I would type it in and give me three or four hours because it wasn't really high-speed internet at that time. And I would have Ice Ice Baby. And then it would stay in my folder and anybody else who wanted Ice Ice Baby had access to it. And you could play it in uh, one of the MP3 players like Winamp. Remember Winamp? I sure do. It kicks the llama's ass. Yeah. Had high-speed internet been a thing in 1999 that was widespread, I, I, I think the RIA would have had a more difficult time getting Napster 
to shut down because they would have figured out the advertising payment model by then and would have had access to better lawyers. But at 56K, it was still like a really limited, it was really limited use because it it takes a long, it takes 20 minutes to download a a three minute MP3 file, you know? That doesn't sound like it's being recorded in a tin can. Yeah, now it's like, I mean, even if you have a slow connection, it takes you like five seconds to download an MP3. Right. The other thing that kind of came out of this too was it sort of, it wasn't so much Napster, but it was the, the ability to, to digitize music and transmit it over phone lines, legally or illegally. It, it sort of brought about the downfall of like the big record store chain, right. and it brought down a lot of record companies and the artists attached to them because the business model didn't evolve with the time. There were some that argued even in 99, like, hey, you know, you should embrace this because if somebody goes and downloads, I don't know, Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen, they might go out and paid $20 for the CD of Born to Run because it's a way higher quality copy of the song and they want to listen to the song. Right. And there are other songs they might like. And the association just didn't ever see that. They just saw it as taking money away from them and ultimately from the artists yep. and, and, and kind of killed oh, it off. like the it, record companies sh- pay the artists fairly in the first place. <laughs> right. The, the thing that sort of saved the ability to, to, to do online music it turned out to be Apple. Yep. Steve Jobs basically pulled them all together and said, I'll give you a buck each per song, and that's it. Take it or leave it. And they were like, what? And he's like, a buck each per song, $10 per disc or per album. Yep. That's what I'm going to pay. Take it or leave it. You can either sign a contract or you can go pound sand. And everybody signed a contract. With yeah, just about. I remember it took a long time for certain things to get on board with digital. I think Pink Floyd was a big holdout on that. Mm-hmm. And then there was a lot of offshoots too, because Napster was music only, right. and then there was like Bear Share and LimeWire, and what was the other one? Kazaa, right. Kazaa was another one. Kazaa, yeah, there was so like, uh, wasn't there like audio satellite audio or some other one too? Like I can't remember yeah. the name of all of them, but they they all eventually got sued out of into oblivion, and I think LimeWire was like home to the computer virus where you'd find a song called like Ice T's new brand new single. Yep. And then the single name and it, you download it, be like, it's weird, this is a text file. Yeah. And then my computer turns into a big pile of slag. I never heard of a song called .exe before. <laughs> right, yeah. All right, so uh, next up, December the 8th, what do you got? December the 8th, 1952. Television, for all of its uh, ribaldness now, was originally a very, very conservative uh, medium. They didn't even acknowledge that people got pregnant. Until 1952. In fact, December 8th, 1952 is the the first acknowledgement of human pregnancy on American television. Really? In an episode of I Love Lucy, where Lucy said, Ricky, I didn't have a period. (laughs) She she didn't actually say that. But she announced that she was pregnant with Desi Arnaz Jr. She comes in with a big uh, swollen belly. And he goes, Lucy, you got some slated to do. (laughs) Right, exactly. If I remember correctly, because I've seen that episode. She was told that she was pregnant with child or whatever. She, they didn't say the P word. No, no, no. Couldn't do that. Right. She had this like this look of, a, of like an epiphany and she said, I'm going to be a mother. That's how she phrased it. Oh, she go. didn't say I'm pregnant with child, knocked up, rated PG. She didn't say any of that. She said, I'm going to right. be a mother. Good phraseology. And, and it would still take another, like, 20 years before you could see two people in the same, two adults in the same bed on the Brady Bunch. Right, yeah. I mean, right? uh, Ricky and Lucy you know. slept in separate beds, so I don't know. Right. I don't know so what happened Immaculate there. Conception. Yep. I'm glad she's happy about being pregnant. Otherwise, it would have been like, I missed my period. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll always owe Lucio Ball a debt of gratitude, though, because it was it was ultimately it was her that picked up and ran what gave production to start Star Trek. It was that was a Desilu production, and she's the only person that had any faith in the show. Stop it! I did not know that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was her. Oh, good for you, Lucy. Yep. I guess she liked Gene Roddenberry. Yep. She oh. apparently liked doing the Babalu with uh, Desi Arnaz, too, because she got Perego. Well, I mean, she was married to Ricky. Yeah. Or Desi. Desi yeah, Arnaz. Yeah, Desi Arnaz. Ricky on the show, right? <laughs> 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 Moving on, uh, also yeah. in uh, conservative America, December the 9th, 1965, the first airing of the It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, hey, that's the only Christmas music I voluntarily put on. With the the Vince Garaldi, yeah, yeah. yeah, Charlie Brown Christmas, yes. There was a like last year or two years ago, whatever it was. There was like everybody on the internet was losing their ever loving minds because the Charlie Brown Christmas special and the Charlie Brown uh, Halloween special, it's a great pumpkin Charlie Brown, weren't going to be aired on. On commercial, on commercial TV. TV. Yeah, yeah, you had to pay them. Yeah, and like everybody Different. lost their ever-loving mind, and I was like, seriously? When was the last time you watched it? Uh, 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 yeah, that's exactly right. So, <laughs> I mean, I haven't watched Ch- any of the Charlie Brown Christmas specials in probably 30 years. But then again, I don't have kids, so. Right, and that's the thing. It's like, it's parents who have kids who are like, but how am I going to show my children the true meaning of Christmas without the Charlie Brown Christmas? And it's like, uh, don't you have Netflix? It's not only, you probably have Netflix, right? It was on it was on <laughs> Apple TV. Yeah. And also, I don't know if you're aware of this, there's been other Christmas things over the last 55 years. It's one of those, though, it's it's become tradition. It, it's like How the Grinch Stole Christmas or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, whatever. Because they've always been a thing, it's, it's really difficult for that sort of stuff to change. And there's no compelling commercial reason for it to change until... You could get it on a streaming service, and Apple was like, you can't see me, but I'm like rubbing my hands together like the yep. Grinch. They'll be bringing me buckets of money to watch Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's snapped right? back like an elastic because they were back on TV yeah. this year, I think. And it was, yes, and they ended up back on TV in general because Apple realized people were going to be like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm not buying any of your other stuff. Right. So uh, commerce wins out. Eventually, though, that will change. Like that, just like everything else does. Saturday morning cartoons, the children's television workshop, the Sesame Street being on HBO and that you have to pay right. for it. All that stuff, it, it will eventually change. And then if you want your fix for Charlie Brown Christmas, you'll, you can go get it, but you're going to have to buy the service that gets yeah. it. Or you could have bought it on DVD years ago. Why, Jeff, do you collect physical media again? That's exactly yeah, yeah. why. Eventually it's going to go away, right? I don't want to have to pay somebody to watch something that I own. Yeah. I uh, I get my own problems with Charlie Brown and all that. So, <laughs> no, what happened was when I was a kid, I used to love like Charlie Brown and Peanuts and Snoopy and all that. I mean, who did it in our age group and all that? And then right. there was that movie, and then they put it on television, uh, Snoopy Come Home. Oh, my God. That destroyed me as a child. I was crying crying in the living room and my father thought that was the funniest thing and every year whenever Snoopy came home came on I'd always get the freaking lecture now don't cry it's like look it just hit me the wrong way okay I got something in my eye leave me alone <laughs> you didn't you didn't say why are you making me watch this dad yeah. you know what makes me sad every time I watch this <laughs> Before I start crying again, uh, what do we have for December the 10th? December the 10th, 1971. A musical hero of mine, Frank Zappa, is injured when a crazy, crazy fan jumps on stage and throws him bodily off of it 
in London. Okay. And he falls 15 feet, lands on his back, breaks his leg, his hip, and his ankle. Jesus. And, yeah, and gets a head injury, and his voice goes down in half an octave. Wow. It knocks him, one, off tour, and two, it destroyed the second iteration of the Mothers of Invention because he built a touring band. And they couldn't tour anymore. Right. He that was, was like the, the guy in 1979 okay. who got hit with a, 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 a baseball, right? Yeah, exactly. He was like, all I could do was sit in a chair and be like, we can't tour. He's a kind of a workaholic. Yeah. So he's constantly in the studio. And if you're in the studio with him, you're making records. But this is a touring band that he built. So this is a time, if you know your mother's of invention history, where Flo and Eddie, the two guys who, used to, who were the singers for the Turtles, yes. were the singers for... The mothers and they stayed until it was going to be probably a year before they could go back on the road and they're like hey man we got to eat yeah so they went off as Flo and eddie and the Flo and eddie touring band and that was that was the end of of uh that iteration of the mothers yeah i'm reading it over here he had a fractured skull which is never yep. good you know that's big time he was in a wheelchair for like over a year yeah because his, his spine was was messed up too. It's too bad because that iteration of the mothers was just starting to get really interesting. They were starting to have more funny, weird theatrics and stuff, and the music was different. and And then it whoop, it was gone. And after that, it was like Steve Vai and Adrian Blue and other people who were with more modern, his more modern stuff in like seventy four, seventy five. Now, as I'm reading over here, less than a week before that incident, some dingling with a flare gun started a fire during one of Zappa's shows at the Montreux Casino. Montreux. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, in Switzerland, and that's the fire that they talk about in the song Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. Yep. Zappo and the mothers were playing right down the rain, and then some dummy with his flare gun, and that's the whole story, yes. Huh. Known for not having the greatest of all tours, I saw the last tour, the U.S. tour that Zappa did huh. in 1988, and it was that band called the, Be the Best Band You've Never Heard. They went off to England. I think they did three dates in Europe, and then he was like, we're done. <laughs> they pulled the plug on it because the band was all at each other's throats, and they never toured again after that. Oh. All right, so moving on to December the 11th, 1967, is the unveiling of the supersonic airplane, the Concorde. And you can ask your Bill, yes. you can ask a good trivia question for future Jeff, okay. or possibly past Jeff, since I know the answer to this already. Yeah. How many supersonic airliners have there been? Uh, the answer is the one, just the Concorde. The yeah, yeah, just the Concorde, right. But most often known for flying for British Air and being able to cross the Atlantic from New York to Heathrow or New York to Paris in like under four hours. Right. Um, whenever we, they were whenever, hellaciously loud. Yes. Well, yeah, because they're breaking sound barriers, so they used to just like kaboom. There were, I believe, six Concords. I believe there was six. And whenever we talk about, you know, Band-Aid and Live-Aid, the, the, the two pinnacles of the 80s for me, we talked about how Phil Collins performed at Live-Aid in London and then hopped on a Concorde to come over to play in America. That wouldn't have been possible with a regular commercial airliner. You would have to be able to go, you know, 600 plus miles an hour to pull off that stunt. The Concorde was known for a couple of different things. Aside from its sort of sleek design, it was hellaciously expensive to fly on. Yeah. It was hellaciously loud because the engines were unmuffled. We're talking like 1967 technology, so they didn't improve much between 67 and when they stopped flying. And three, oh my God, did they consume a lot of jet fuel to fly to the point where they were horrifically bad for the upper atmosphere. Oh, that's, yeah, um, that's why they stopped uh, flying them. Uh, getting, going back to the price for a second, 
So from London to New York would run you, you know, about, we'll say $3,000. Right. You know, a normal flight. In, on the Concorde, it would cost you $10,000. Right. Super, super, super expensive. Uh, super expensive. They were typically the planes of the rich and famous. Yes. As as such. You know, the, the fuel and the fuel injection and whatever that made it possible to go and break the sound barrier like it did... The amount of, uh, you know, the fuel and whatever and where they would fly and all that, they figured out that they were probably more responsible for the damage to the ozone layer than all the girls with their hairspray in the 80s combined. Yeah. Yeah. If you're measuring, you know, chlorofluorocarbons mm -hmm. in the atmosphere and your model, your scale is one Concorde versus 800 versions of poison. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a big number that's a lot you're not only dumping it into the atmosphere you're dumping it directly into the atmosphere yeah you know? yeah you're way up you're way up high they stopped flying in like the late 1990s after a horrific crash where a tire started on fire they could only land in like certain airports or take off from certain airports because they needed a super long runway right. and they picked up a piece of debris as they were taking off and as they took off the tire started on fire and it did not take long for the plane to just sort of drop to the ground and murder everybody on it and right after that that was the end they never they never flew again after that i think they were officially retired in 2003 all right so wrapping up the week on the 12th what do we got december 12th 1946 tide detergent is introduced to the world Ooh, i can't use tide no no yeah I, yeah no i break out like i get like bumps and stuff like that on my skin what like like a like hives yeah, like a hive, like hives. Or is it or like, whatever. or is it more like chicken pox or something? No, it's like little, yeah, like hives, I guess you would say. But just under your clothes, right? Yeah, because I'm allergic to detergent. Oh, well, geez, you know, I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. I don't think we should make any rash decisions. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Tide. Yes, I get rashes from Tide, Jeff. <laughs> the interesting thing about Tide is that up until Tide was released, detergents for clothing were a lot milder. And I think it's probably because up to that point, most laundry wasn't done in a standalone washing machine. And then they became much more prevalent after World War II. It was generally women, not for sexism reasons, but just because that's what the history sort of shows. Typically inside of wash buckets all the time. So really harsh detergents would hurt their hands. Right. Because these were automatic machine washings, Tide was a stronger detergent than its competitors. And as such, it tended to clean better in that environment. Uh, it's still used today. I still use Tide in my washing machine. Now, I'm backing up what I said because my mother couldn't buy Tide because I would get rashes. Uh, <laughs> I stayed over your house over the summer and you did my, uh, my laundry and you used Tide? Yeah, more than likely. Yeah, and that was, uh, that was some of my unmentionables too. And I didn't get any... Uh, unmentionable rashes so they must have, i mean well i would get the rashes that was in the 70s and you know how yeah. you know how everything is new and improved so yes yeah. and i'm sure that they've mild they've they've added stuff to make it more mild i know that for a while even my kids would get hives and stuff from detergents that had specific dyes in them yeah. or perfumes and stuff now with less skin liations <laughs> right. yeah. you know no need to use the benadryl coupon that comes in the box yeah <laughs> all right let's get on to the celebrity birthdays then Right. December the 6th, 1898. This guy's got a last name uh, worse than my birth name. Alfred Eisenstent. I'm going to guess something in German. Uh, Alfred Eisenstent. He is the photographer 
that took the famous photograph of the sailor kissing the nurse. At, oh, at yeah, the, in Times Square. Yeah, VJ Day, yeah. On VJ Day, yeah. Yep. Okay, I, every, I, I know that photo. Yep. Yes, and I probably everybody that's around our age knows that photo. Yep. I don't know if my kids do, but that thing was iconic even when I was younger. Uh, it's still iconic for people like us now. It's so iconic that, did you, do you remember when they parodied it on The Simpsons? Yes. Whenever the neighborhood kid, kids all like ganged up on Nelson there, the neighborhood bully, and then they, he finally like kind of like surrendered and all the kids were cheering. Some yep. kid dressed up like a sailor grabs Lisa, kisses her, and then like a flash goes off. Yep. And then just, like they framed that picture with Lisa and the, and the kid. It was super funny. And yep. like I said, that, uh, your kids, that reference, they probably might not get it, which is too bad because that was super funny. It was super funny. They also parodied it in Watchmen, Zack Snyder's version, when he was illustrating a part of the textbook that's in the comic about the old heroes, the crime busters. So there's a scene in there where she grabs the nurse and kisses her, and it's two women. Yeah, going on to December the 7th. December 7th, 1966, actor C. Thomas Howell, who was in a ton of stuff when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Red Dawn, The Outsiders, Tank. I don't know if you remember that movie with oh, James Garner. I forgot he was in Tank. I remember, I remember that one, yeah. Tank, Tank, Tank's not a good movie, but he was in it. Tank um, was okay. Well, I, I, think yeah, if, it was, I think if I went back and watched Tank, I would be like, oh, wow, this sucks, but I liked it back then. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I liked it back then, and now I watch it. I'm like, this was a made-for-TV movie that they put in the cinemas on purpose. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I actually just watched him recently. I went back and I watched Secret Admirer. Oh yeah, yeah, with, with Kelly Preston and yeah. uh, yep. problematic actress Lori Laughlin. <laughs> well, there's some problematic stuff in his past. He was also in Soul Man. Yes, which is not a good movie. It, that's a problematic. Made with the movie. best intentions. That's but, like yeah. one of those movies where, like, if you show it to your kids, you they would be like, "How the hell was this movie ever made?" It's like, well, people didn't care back then. I can already hear my daughter, mm-hmm. so I, I won't do it in her voice because I can't do her voice. But it would be the equivalent of like, this film was meant to explore the problem of racism. <laughs> Uh, yes. How? I don't, like, look, I didn't write the thing. I just watched it in the movies when I was 13. This film uh, is racism. <laughs> look, I don't know. You could probably find Radon Chung's internet information and ask her because she was in it. But, um, yeah. When, and then oh, he went on. I met Radon Chung some years ago. I should have asked her, what the f*** was that all about? <laughs> what, what were you doing in Soul Man, yeah. you know? I don't know. He sort of dropped out of mainstream movies for a while. Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the owners of The Asylum, which for the horror movie fans in our audience, and I know that you are many. I am. I'm at least three of them now. Yeah. You are no doubt aware of Asylum Pictures, which makes stuff for the Sci-Fi Channel and direct to DVD and or streaming services where Avengers Endgame comes out. Well, they release Superhero End Fight. <laughs> or there's Pacific Rim is released and they release Atlantic Rim. Where Atlantic Rim is made for less than the advertising budget in Wichita, Kansas for Pacific Rim. Right. He's in a bunch of their films. He was in, I believe, The Amazing Spider-Man. He was in the first one, The Amazing Spider-Man. He, like, drove the crane. He's like, uh, yeah. earlier in the movie, Spider-Man saves his kid at the bridge, and at the end of the movie, yep. he's operating the crane. He just kind of gives him, like, the thumbs up kind of a deal. And somebody was like, yeah, that's C. Thomas Howell. I was like, that was C. Thomas Howell? He looks... <laughs> He looks way different. Well, because nobody's really seen hide no hair of him in 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Yep. But uh, like if you watch like I think Journey to the Center of the Earth and all the other 
garbage that's kind of made on public domain that the asylum puts out. He's in a bunch of those. Oh, okay. No. Uh, moving on to December the 8th, 1953, American comedian Sam Kinison. Now, Sam... Oh, man. Yeah, Sam Kinison was monstrously popular in the 80s. Yeah, he was. He sort of defined comedy in the 80s, I think. He and Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. But him more so because... At- I, as insane as this sounds, mm-hmm. he was more accessible to mainstream America. <laughs> <laughs> he had like two or three comedy albums. I went back and I listened to them because I was thinking to myself that he wasn't really funny. Yeah. I was like, all he did was yell. That was kind of like his gimmick. He would like, ah, yeah. ah, ah, he would yell. For those who don't know Sam Kinison, he would just like yell and be angry. And he was, he had very misogynistic humor because he was married and the marriage didn't work out very well. And that was kind of like his gimmick and all that. And he was a former preacher too, you know. So uh, he had a lot of a lot of things going on. I went back and I listened to it, and it wasn't as funny as I think it should have been for how popular he was. Right. It wasn't as bad as I remembered it. There was some stuff that I was laughing at, even you know, thirty some odd years later. I think he translates less to like a record album comedy than he does to being seen. Like he was really somebody you had to watch because you could see like just in his face, like the, yeah. the resignation of how shitty his life was. And he would have been somebody to go see live because he, right. he really got the crowd like pumped up and laughing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I remember like there was an HBO special or something where he like, he had somebody in the audience whose girlfriend had just broken up with him and he called her from the stage and yelled yes. at her and like yeah. <laughs> like all kinds of stuff. There was a story too that he, he was offered a movie that they had custom written for him. Mm-hmm. And the plot of the movie, he was like an uh, an Inuit that they had brought to New York City, and he was ran off, and he started teaching all the homeless people like how to build igloos and stuff. It was going to be like a man out of his element type comedy. Yeah. And they put a ton of money into the pre-production. He read the script. He's like, I'm not doing this. It's not funny. There's no jokes <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> and it just destroyed the production like right there. Yep. And he, they, had, they had booked all the other people and stuff. Yeah, he unfortunately was uh, killed by a drunk driver. He had a lot of drinking and, and drug, uh, you know, habits, you know, in the 80s, as a lot of people in show business did. And he had just kind of, like, straightened his life out. He was gonna be, he was due to get married a third time, or he had just gotten married. And, uh, yeah, and he was killed in a, in a, yeah. in a drunk driving accident. Funny story about right. Sam Kinison, though, is he has a brother. He has a brother that looks and more importantly sounds exactly like him whenever he talks. So whenever whenever he would get like radio interviews, like phone interviews and stuff like that, more times than not he would just have his brother do it. And nobody was any the wiser. Nobody nice. <laughs> nobody was any wiser. It's funny. All right, next up. December 9th, 1916. 1916, Bill. Kirk Douglas, who lived wow. until 2020. 104 years. Yeah, Kirk Douglas, Spartacus, man. The man who who sort of defined 1960s, that that golden age of of star power from the late 50s and into the 60s and and even into the 1970s. Kirk Douglas, who was in all kinds of movies, from Gunfight at the OK Corral to Spartacus to Saturn 3, the worst alien ripoff ever, to Tough Guys with Burt Lancaster. I was just about to mention that movie. That was the the first time I remember seeing Dana Carvey. He was their parole officer. Yeah. And continued to do stuff right up until only a few years back. He was debilitated by a stroke, but he was still come out and talk and showed up at award shows and stuff. Absolutely astonishing actor. Amazing. If you go back, especially and watch his older stuff, right. he is and, almost uh, Also, yeah, he was, I'm looking at it now, 103 years old. Christ. Father right. to Michael Douglas. Yep. As well as Joel Douglas and Eric Douglas, yes. but Michael Douglas, uh, a very successful actor in his own right. 
right, moving on to December the 10th. December the 10th. 1817, another youngin. Alexander Wood, who invented the hollow hypodermic needle. All right, so the hollow hypodermic, what was the other one, solid? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, man, this thing doesn't it's work. Just a, it's just a tube. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, it's a golf tee. It's a, yeah, it's a drinking straw with a bent end on it, yeah. It's a nine-penny nail. It's never going to get anything in my vein. So uh, he was a Scottish physician. He invented the first hypodermic needle that used a true syringe and hollow needle. Uh, that was okay. yeah, that was in 1853. Uh, it was originally used for the injection of morphine and opiates. And uh, oh well, yeah, that makes sense. Alexander over here said, you know, this might be good for other stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> but it was initially used for shooting up drugs. Yep. How far they've come in their usage. Oh, yeah. Um, I can imagine what those things must have been like in like 1850, though. You're going to put what in my arm? Yeah. <laughs> Get away from me with that thing. Yeah. It looks like a railroad spike. A, a rusty railroad spike, yeah. You may feel a little bit of a pinch. A pinch! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moving on to the 11th. December 11th, 1922, Finnish actress Myla Nurmi is born. Now, you may not know Myla Nurmi. Name doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. I don't. But you, if you are a horror movie, especially a classic horror movie fan, will know her as Vampira. Ooh. Uh, one of the non-speaking actors in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. The greatest bad movie of all time. And also the very first TV horror movie host or hostess. Yes. Who started doing a show in Los Angeles in like the 1950s. Breaking down the path for people like Elvira and and Sven Gulli. Yeah. And Wolfman Mac and some of the others that have been more recent. But she was definitely the first one. Yep. And And she um, even is immortalized in a song by the Misfits. And wrapping up the birthdays, December the 12th, 1970, American actress and eyebrow aficionado, (laughs) Jennifer Connelly, yeah. I remember falling in love with her in, not Labyrinth, but Phenomenon. Do you remember that movie? Uh, Phenomenon with... with Where she could control bugs. That was it called Phenomenon. It was in the United States. Uh, no, oh, it was called Creepers in the United yeah. States. The original title is Phenomenon. I don't think it's no, it's not movie. even Phenomenon. It's something else. Hold on. It's uh, Phenom- Phenomena. It's Phenomenon. It's not Phenomenon. It's Phenomena. It's not Phenomena. It's Phenomena. Oh, Phenomena. I'm not, I thought you were saying Phenomenon. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. <laughs> phenomena. Oh, it's pronounced Phenomena. Okay. I thought that was, yes. I thought it was Phenomena. Okay. Because it's yeah. Italian. Like Fragile. Must be Italian. Fragile. Must right. be Italian. Fragile. Okay. Yeah, Creepers. Yeah, I saw that. We did that as a, one of our virtual movie nights. Uh, I first saw her, like most everybody saw her first, in Labyrinth with David Bowie. She was Sarah. She was young. She was only like 14 or 15 whenever she did Labyrinth. Right. She moved on to doing much more mature adult roles quick. Yep. She was in a movie called The Hot Spot with Don Johnson where she was in a... Uh, May-December relation, relationship with him. There was that other movie, there, Career Opportunities, which was basically just centered around how big her boobs look in a, in a tank top. Yeah, and I think her very first film, too, was Once Upon a Time in America, the Sergio Leone crime movie. Yes. That okay. I think runs like eight and a half hours <laughs> and stars everybody who worked in Hollywood at the time that that film was being made. Right. She's in that, too. She's in the flashback scenes, the, the kid who played the flashback kid of Robert De Niro. Oh. Man, if you want to get thrown for a loop, you watch Labyrinth and then watch Requiem for a Dream, and you get to see Ugh. like two real big bookends for Jennifer Connelly's career. Like, because Requiem for a Dream, that movie is tough to get through. Holy cow! 
It is tough to get through. Yeah, that's a hard one. And Requiem for a Dream is a very good movie. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just a lot to get through. It's like subject matter is really difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to stomach. Almost as hard to stomach as the worst song ever. All right, Jeff, what do we got in the canon this week for the worst song ever? All right, I'm going to take you back to the halcyon days of 1981, Bill. Go on. Do you remember 1981, Bill? Oh, like it was yesterday. Disco's corpse strewn across the landscape, decaying, flies everywhere. We, we talk about the comet of Nirvana that landed in 1991 that destroyed hair metal. But prior to that, the rocket ship of MTV destroyed disco. disco. Well, not just, it didn't really destroy disco. But whatever music was going on, it now had a very visual element to it. So if you didn't look good, like, say, if your name was Christopher Cross, for an example. <laughs> yeah. It, no one did destroy. It, it destroyed. MTV destroyed adult contemporary for the most part. It definitely hurt it for yeah. sure. But again, like I said, Disco's Corpse litters the ground, mm-hmm. flies everywhere. Rock and roll hasn't reorganized yet. Yep. Right, there's still like hard rock, but it's not on the radio. It's not on pop it's radio. Not. And there's some like R and B that's sort of filtering in through pop radio, but not a lot. And this makes space for the bands that are popular on MTV that ultimately become popular FM radio staples. Right. One of which is Physical by Olivia Newton-John, off of like her twelfth record or some. She's had a insane a number of records. She was up around to this point. forever before that. Yeah, and that includes soundtracks like Grease, which made eight hundred thousand million billion jillion dollars. Yeah. The significantly less popular Xanadu, which came out in 1980. Right. I still have the record of that downstairs. Good record, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's hard to make a, a roller skating movie about Samuel Taylor Coleridge's book of uh, Kublai Khan and the Pleasure Dome, you know? That's it. And, and starring like a longtime old school Hollywood dancer in the lead role who didn't seem to understand the movie. Anyway. Um, it, yeah, it made zero sense. The soundtrack sold way better than the movie did, yeah. And the soundtrack was great. And based on Grease and on Xanadu, Olivia Newton-John had a reputation, a style, an expectation that her fans had, which is like like Sandy from Grease, like virginal and very nice and very polite. And then they put out Physical, which is a song on her record, which was written by uh, a guy named Steve Kibben. Mm-hmm. Steve Kibben wrote a bunch of songs for this record for her. Australian guy, same as kind of she's Australian-British, he's British-Australian. Wrote this song initially for Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart has never been in the public eye like somebody who was meant to be like a virginal and sweet and and nice. Rod Stewart's songs are songs that are endemic of his type of personality, songs that are written for his type of performance, which is a lot more sexual and earthy. I went back and listened to Physical today in advance of the show, and it surprises me how upfront with its sexuality this song is being sung by Sandy from frickin' Grease. All right, before we get any further, we got to play the clip. Right there is the line in the song that caused all the controversy, right. where she said, especially horizontally. horizontally. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
You or there's nothing left but horizontal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like something yeah, like that. Yeah, you, you're wicked. Ooh, fast forward to WAP in 2021, right? But right. back in 1981, so yeah, like so. Picture like if the Wiggles did WAP. <laughs> Prior to that, Olivia Newton-John was like squeaky, squeaky yeah. clean. She had songs like Hopelessly Devoted to You, Have You Never Been Mellow. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that she was doing. And then, you know, the common belief was that physical was like this whiplash where she went from, you know, Vestial Virgin to Hyper Slut 2000. But she actually tried changing her image on the album before that in 1978, an album called Totally Hot, which I listened to today and regret horribly (laughs) and on the next album after physical she came out with another album called soul kiss now that album came out in 1985 now you get a picture what was going on at the record company is like hey have you seen this madonna chick right livia we gotta do something with you they kind of like kind of pushed her into that whole like a little bit more than romance uh kind of category right but she's still Olivia Newton-John, somebody that's been in the business for like 15 years already. Yeah. And it was funny that they sort of pushed her that way based on the strength of that one single because it didn't stick. Right. 81 is when Grease went to cable TV. Sure. And was shown 700 million thousand times a week. So people still knew Olivia Newton-John as Sandy. It's just Sandy. the way it, it's been. And since then, Sandy. And I guess they never watched the movie to the end to see that she becomes an Olivia Newton-John from physical. Right. But anyway, yeah, so her career sort of like waxed and waned a little bit on and off after that. She was in more movies. She did some TV. She did another movie with John Travolta, so Two of Hearts, yeah. She did, yeah. She was one of those that sort of managed to run for, I don't know, a good seven or eight years after 1980. Yeah, she got to the point where she was like, yeah, I can do the come out now and then again for like the Grease revival or some other thing. Well, she's in her 70s now, for Christ's sake, yeah. Well, yeah, she is now. You know, she's a spokesperson for, like, breast cancer awareness and and other stuff. But back to the song itself. I think one of the reasons the song took off is because of the video that aired on MTV in 1981, which, even for standards of 1981, was surprisingly... Racy, yeah. And it got pulled. Um, It got pulled for a little while because there was a lot of, like, overt sexuality in it. And Mm -hmm. there was all these kind of, like, buff guys. And there was also some, like not so buff guys in, in the video right. and, yeah, and at the end of the video all the buff guys kind of run off with each other holding hands and you're like you know gasp homosexuality on tv right, oh right, what right. will the children think yeah I, I thought the video was surprisingly inclusive when i watched mm-hmm. it today a lot of the people in the video are are certainly not buff dudes and it alternates kind of between a bunch of very muscular people at the gym and a bunch of not muscular people who are working out right. at the gym in fact it Reminded me a lot of the time that I spent at Planet Fitness on any given day, like people who are just learning to do fitness stuff. And I was like, this is really kind of cool and inclusive. Mm-hmm. I like this. Oh, my God. She's rubbing herself against that dude. And that's, that's, that's kind of like that's kind of like the way that my brain whipsawed yep. through it. And I, I thought it was clever and well done. And I could see why in 81 people were like, but the children. Right. Oh, my goodness. Not the children. Yeah, uh, gay was still, you know, in 1981 was kind of like something you whispered. People thought the village people just like costumes. Yeah, exactly. And the YMCA was like, you know, they have a good program there for Yeah, I remember even in the late 80s, because I was a big fan of like Elton John's 1970s stuff, especially the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album. And somebody's like, you like Elton John? I'm like, yeah, that Yellow Brick Road album is amazing. They're like, "Uh, isn't he gay? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's not contagious. 
What's wrong with you? You know, at the, at the time, people still get all bent out of shape by that kind yeah, of stuff no. now. It's just quieter because it's it's available in more. There's no single source. Like MTV was the only place you could see. Right, it, unless you like, occasionally HBO would show music videos in between their movies. Yeah, right. but I mean, yeah, basically you had to go to MTV or you didn't. You didn't yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, you, didn't, you got nothing. Yep. If you were gonna go to a restaurant to get some little worms haha <laughs> but back at the trivia question jeff uh the trivia question at the beginning of the show was if you get yourself a plate of pasta and that pasta dish translates literally into little worms what pasta dish are you enjoying well i guess i can't call it anal hair angel hair um i said cava tappy and you said that's not it so that's technically my uh, guess so so I'm, i'll stick right. with that well the answer is vermicelli Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes vermicelli sense. Vermicelli is a long and thin pasta. Here's what's interesting. In Italy, the pasta is thicker than the usual spaghetti, but in America, the pasta is thinner than the usual spaghetti. I don't know who to be mad I at. I don't know who to be mad the at Americans either. Americans or the Italians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's wrong, but I don't know which it's one. It's all the same thing. It's just a different shape. Pasta that's shaped like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tastes different than the pasta that's shaped like Pokemon. I'm just going to put that out My there. Favorite. And everybody that eats those two things knows it's true. My favorite is the one with the dinosaurs. So anyway, uh, that is going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in about seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using TWWWBLY. Make sure you tell all of your friends about our podcast. Then go out and make new friends and tell them about it, too.